You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is the wrap-up teaching for week two, covering Numbers chapters 1 through 6. So our headline for this week is setting up camp. And you can write that right there. You can just write your headlines um, right there by the weeks. And I think the headlines are just a great tool to help us remember what's happening in the text. That's sort of the point of them. Um, All right, so I'm just going to move into the wrap-up teaching, and then we'll end in prayer. All right. So we're going to review everything we just discussed today. So these, this, what we just did today is that first section of the first 10 chapters where we're answering the question, who is this nation? Who is this nation? Because we've seen these people, they've been brought out of slavery, they've been brought out of Egypt, they've seen God's miracles, they have seen his provision already with the manna, he has shown his power to them at Mount Sinai and has given them the law. And so the question is, what now? Who is this nation that belongs to Yahweh? And how then shall they live and be organized? They've been given the law at Mount Sinai, but now we have some practical issues like, what are we going to do with all these people? Um, and how are we going to organize ourselves? So let's just review the different things that have happened so far in these chapters. We've counted all the people, so we've taken a census. And we've counted them specifically by their tribes. And this is good information to have because this is going to be important then too when they enter the land and we're going to see those different tribes being allocated the land by their, by their number, by the number of people and by lot also. And so we, t- we see too then how we're given specific instructions for how the people are to be placed around the tabernacle where God himself is dwelling in the center. We see how the Levites and the priest, priest being part of the Levites, but also separated from, I should say, distinguished from them. We see the Levites and the priest. And so you're going to start to see how God has created these, like, layers of holiness, if you will. So we have the innermost circle, which is God himself. He's the most holy. He's the holy of holies, if you will. And then we have the Levites and the priest being that next layer of holiness, And they're then a buffer between God himself and his presence, and then the people, the next layer being then the actual tribes of Israel. And and then even the tribes of Israel, he has very specific places for where he wants them to be, and so we can only do our best to interpret exactly where those places are supposed to be. And then after that, we have the next layer, which is the unclean outside the camp. And then even past that, is the rest of the nations outside of the camp also. And so he's created a purposeful way for his people to be arranged around him. And then we have that whole section with the Levites being set apart and being a substitute for the firstborns of Israel in serving serving the Lord at the tabernacle. We're given instructions for how the different Levite clans are to care for the tabernacle. And especially we have a lot of instructions for how the priests are to cover all of the holy things. And and again, we have it going from most holy to least holy. He starts with the Ark of the Covenant, and then he goes all the way down to the least holy things. And this part is answering the question, 
how exactly do we transport these very holy things that nobody can look at or touch? How do we move? How do we transport this holy tabernacle of God's? And so these instructions were so important because we are told that if the Kohathites looked, even looked at the holy things for a moment, that they would die. That is how much these things represented God's holiness. And I'll get to more of that in a little bit. So the priests themselves would cover the holy things, and then they would give the Kohathites more specific instructions of how, like, it, they wouldn't just leave it random and say, like, okay, you, Lindsay, you're going to do this, and you, Cindy, you're going to do this, so that, they would, so that they would live and not die, basically, is what it says. And then lastly, in chapters 5 and 6, we have these very interesting laws that, can, that are here to confuse us. <laughs> um, but they're all here for a purpose, and I think they're all here to show us how um, the camp needed to be clean, and it helps us see, like, okay, what do we do now when things do go wrong? How do we deal with sin in the camp? So, ladies, these, these are the chapters of obedience. This week and next week, we see, and I, love, I think Grace pointed this out, we see God commanding and the people obey. Like, how many times does it say, as the Lord commanded Moses? If, if in 117, it says, Moses and Aaron obey the Lord. On the exact day he gave them that command, they started to take their census immediately, which I just love that. And then at, at one, chapter 1, verse 54, the Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded Moses. So I just want to encourage you to soak all this obedience in because it's not going to last. <laughs> soak it all in. We actually only see obedience in these chapters. Um, we only are just given guidelines about what to do when sin does enter. And so far, we see God's people responding in obedience to his plans for them. And so this book starts out so hopeful. Like, we've left Egypt, and we're on our way to the promised land. We're getting ready to leave Sinai and go to the promised land that he is giving them. All right, so what can we learn from the census? What can we take away from all these numbers that were given? I think it is most valuable for us to see that God is true to his promises. He promised to Abraham that he would make him a great nation out of him. And here we see that, indeed, God has made Abraham into a great nation. But we can also see that he is still working and that the promise is not yet fulfilled. He told Abraham in Genesis 16.10 that his descendants would be too numerous to count. And so we can see here that actually the people can still be counted, right? But now there will be a day, we are told in Revelation, Revelation 7, verse 9. After, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne in front of God, in, in front of the Lamb, sorry, in front of the Lamb. And so God is still fulfilling these promises, and he will be true to them. And so we, the sons of Abraham, which, which is us, will be a sum that can only be counted by God himself when we worship him together in heaven. But I think, there's, I think there's more things we can learn from this too. So we can also see that we are all a part of the family of God. We are the body of the church. Each person, each male, 20 and up, I guess, was counted, it's like, you just kind of have to deal with that, was counted and held responsible for being a part of the community. And isn't it amazing how we mentioned that each <coughs> name, each name was listed um, and then the names were counted. 
I just love to see how he listed each person by name and included them in the family. Each person had a place in the camp around God. And so I think this is valuable for us to consider how it challenges our individualism in our society, that they wanted to be named and included in the family of God. And so, and so too should we then want to stand up and be counted and take our place in the family of God. So now, looking at the camp arrangement, what can we learn from that? What can we learn from this way that God arranged his camp? There's a lot of symbolism that I think can be learned from the way he ordered his people. Um, And we did touch on Judah being in the place of prominence. But I think that the most obvious thing that we should take away from this is just that simply that God is in the center. He is in the center of the camp. He is gracious to come and be with his people. And him being in the center gives us all these implications for everything moving forward. His presence among his people is a theme that we're gonna that we see all throughout scripture. Starting with the tabernacle, he comes to us in the tabernacle, and then later the temple, and then later the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's skipping ahead, but his presence among the people is the very reason that we have some of these bizarre laws, right? As we read these different laws, we ask ourselves, like like Mariah said, why why do the people have to be clean? Why do they have to leave camp when they're unclean. Um, And I think it's because essentially they have like this nuclear reactor of holiness (coughs) in the center of their camp. Like the surface of the sun, his holiness is so great. And to get too close to it, you could get burned up, but he was, he wanted to be in their midst. Um, And so that's then too why we see the Levites with the, the Levites job is like, literally to protect the people from getting too close to that nuclear reactor so that nobody gets vaporized by the holiness of God. Um, So that's why we see like in uh, 1 verse 53, he said, and, and he says this multiple times, but the Levites, however, are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the testimony so that wrath will not fall on the Israelite community. So this leads me to the main point that I want to make today. We are given here a dilemma. It's a tension. The people needed God to be central in their camp. He wanted to come and dwell with them, and they needed him to be in their life. Do you remember back in Exodus when the people worshipped the golden calf, and God basically told Moses, "Um, I'm not going to go with you to the promised land then. And Moses pleaded with God, like, please, I need your presence. If you're not going to be with us, then what is the point of even going to the promised land? Moses knew just how much they needed his presence within them. And what a gift that God wants to dwell with us, his people. He wanted to be in the center of their camp. And so then he makes all these different, all these different things to help protect the people from his holiness in the tabernacle. And so we see here that we have made progress since Adam and Eve's fall and that God is coming to dwell with them. But then we are also just so keenly aware of how far that we have fallen from Eden. Mm -hmm. God is near us again physically, but we're not walking with him in the garden as Adam and Eve did. We are sinners and he is a holy God and his presence can mean certain death for us. They needed to have him with them, but to be near him was dangerous. 
And so this, this is that tension, that dilemma that I'm speaking of, is that they were a sinful people, and they had this holy God among them. And so, they, and so with that, presence brings amazing blessings, water from the rock. Um, they had even just seen the waters being parted. Like God is, he is a good God, but he is not a tame God. And all these different things, the diseases, the bleeding, the death, these are all consequences of sin. And so they cannot be around him. But he is gracious to come and dwell among them. And he is gracious then to give them instructions for how they can live among us. So let us be encouraged then that he wants to be near us and dwell with us. But I'm not just going to like leave you with the dilemma. Because as we know, this dilemma, this age-old dilemma of a righteous God and a sinful people is found, like the answer is found in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? This camp, this corner of scripture, this camp arrangement, like groans for Christ. Because in the New Testament, we see how Christ comes and he makes all things new. Here in Numbers, those who had the diseases, the, the skin diseases, the bleeding, contact with the dead, they had to go outside the camp. But like you said, Christ, when he comes in the New Testament, the actual image of God, Christ himself, actually touches those, that bleeding woman, and he touches the lepers, and he heals them, and he forgives sins. And so here we see that all these laws find their fulfillment in Christ. He brings those who are alienated outside of the camp, and he brings them inside where, um, where everyone can be included. <coughs> and he even brings in us, the, the nations. He brings in all of us to be included in him. He delivers us. He washes us and makes us clean. And so now, because of Christ, we can come boldly to the throne and know that we will not, we will live and not die because we are found in him just by believing he is who he says he is. And so in Christ, too, we see that we no longer have <coughs> hierarchies, these structures, these layers of holiness. We are all one in Christ because he came and tabernacled among us. He took on that sin and death that has separated us from God. And he chose to come and be in the wilderness with us. And so there will be, again, a fulfillment of that promise he made to Abraham. There will be another census someday in heaven that only God alone can count the sum of for all of us who are included in the family of God. So I'm going to leave you with that. But actually, no, I'm not going to leave you with that. I'm going to leave you with... Um, I'm going to leave you with the blessing since we didn't really even talk about that. This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name in the Israelites and I will bless them. And that's all.